specifically yeah. the moral majority was against segregation mm -hmm. or desegregation. Yep. desegregation. They were for yep. segregation. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, which, you know, the, the conservatives will pretend that didn't exist, but it is mm -hmm. the, their roots. That's yep. how that started. Yeah. You're listening to Don't Repeat This, where we talk about things you probably wouldn't want to bring up at the dinner table. I'm Nate. I'm Gail. And we still haven't found Vicky, but we are working on it. I'm sure she'll make her way back to us next time. Uh, but today we're joined once again by our friends Callie and Dave, and we're continuing our conversation from last time on evangelicalism, specifically white evangelicalism, because uh, we are aware that there's a bit of a difference um, and there are some differences. So if you want to actually learn a little bit about that, we touched on it briefly in our last um, episode. But um, Gail, you had some questions from, from last time that you wanted to actually bring up this I time. I so. did, but I still do want to give a shout out to our last episode if you're curious about it i think it's a conversation maybe for those who are coming out of evangelicalism or still in it and kind of trying to understand people who've left it and want to have a better understanding i encourage you to check out that episode you get to know dave and callie a bit more our friends who are our guests today who are excited to have and we're going to sort of i guess kick this off uh we're going to take this in a different direction uh, today and and handle a bit more uh questions on why if you're not evangelical you should care but we want to start with getting to know kind of where we left off on last episode getting to know Callie and Dave a bit better and in terms of our leaving evangelical story so I guess the first question off the bat to sort of start off in that venue would be what are misconceptions and I'll throw this out to all of us Nate you can answer too um, what are the biggest misconceptions that evangelicals have about deconstruction that you've come across like how how do people perceive that in a way that sort of misunderstands what's happening okay well uh, I'm Callie. He's Dave. Um, just to be clear. True story. And um, yeah, I would say there, there are a lot of misconceptions that I could kind of reach back to my evangelical days to, um, to remember and also things that have come up in conversations that we've had. Um, some of it is just the idea that um, we have abandoned the gospel that um, we just don't believe in Jesus anymore. And while our ideas about who Jesus was and, and what he was uh, trying to do have changed, um, have evolved, have grown, um, I would say, you know, it was actually studying the Gospels. It was studying what did the kingdom or the kingdom of God actually mean? Why was um, it important? Why was it what Jesus was preaching? And how do we live it? that made me um, question what evangelicalism was even about. Like why um, I would adhere to evangelicalism when it seemed so opposite of what Jesus was teaching, when it um, focused on the exact opposite things that, you know, from the gospels and, um, you know, things like last shall be first and, um, the helping the sick, helping the poor, you know, all of those things that were most important in his teachings, you know, just weren't being fleshed out in evangelicalism. Instead, they were focused on judging, which again, if you look in the Gospels, opposite. Um, so, you know, it was really my, um, my belief in what Jesus was teaching that led me out of evangelicalism, despite what they believe. Mm. about it and um i'd say misconceptions that we're heretics 
Right. Yeah, I think I, I, I try to put myself in the, the my mental framework from, you know, 2016 and, and prior um, what I would have thought about somebody about like 2020 me. Like if I could sit down and have a conversation wow. with me from two different time periods, like 2016 me would be like, well, that's sin, clearly, you know, questioning, questioning the authority of the Bible, the infallibility of the word of God, you know, the, the inerrancy of scripture. Um, any sort of challenge to um, your belief system, you know, I definitely would have probably just written off. You know, well, there, you know, you've got, we've got all these like judgy um, trigger phrases like slippery slope and mm, all know, the backsliding, back, really backsliding yeah. you know, all that stuff that we've probably all heard and now would be accused of, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it was kind of a, I think, a, like a no fly zone. Like you just, there are some things that you just don't ask, they're too foundational. Mm-hmm. to what you believe and to they they they, they threaten too much um well it seems like every thing threatened the whole because it was all so very interwoven you couldn't you couldn't really question any of it without having to question the authority of the whole right you know so like even if it's something small maybe it's not hell maybe it's um paul's authority Hmm. you know um that was that would just people would say well then how do you trust any of the bible and it just unravel everything well um it doesn't necessarily unravel everything but maybe you need to question everything maybe it shouldn't just be leave you know where you have to believe exactly what you're told and never be allowed to question Hmm. yeah i i i would say for me uh trying to to do that thought exercise that that mm-hmm. Dave just mentioned, I think the me from five ten years ago would be afraid and worried about stuff like apostasy and heresy and really leading mm-hmm. people astray. Um, I think mm-hmm. a common misconception and something that I've heard um, often, especially in my early days of leaving evangelicalism was that um, I was using my platform to lead people away from God and that I was a wolf in sheep's clothing. That was another fun, fun phrase that, that people used. Yep. And, Yikes. Yeah. Um, I think the, the big misconception is that there's an attribution of malicious intentions um, behind walking away and then for those of us who are more vocal than others who are trying to help people see behind the curtain and at some of the insidiousness of of evangelicalism which i think we'll go go into a little bit later in the show um when we're trying to point that stuff out it gets seen as this malicious evil intention that we're trying to snatch people away from god uh when in reality like you were talking about callie that deeper dive into what the kingdom of God is the deeper dive into what's really behind the words of the, of the scriptures that, that, that evangelicals say are their sacred, holy book, but that they haven't mm-hmm. done the work of actually looking at what's in there. Um, mm. Like you were mentioning, it's as we sit here and try to point out those errors, the big, I think really the biggest mis- misconception is that, like I said, it's something malicious. It's something evil that we're doing. When in reality, mm-hmm. we just want to help people. Like, yeah, 
Yeah. So and then I think, 100%. So to, to tie in, I guess, my own experience with what you're saying, Nate, I guess my caveat would be if they're not going to say that you have malicious intent, the next misconception, the one that I faced with or that I've dealt with is you must be hurt. The church must have done something to hurt you. And so your response to all this is not coming out of any sort of intellectual examination of of everything uh, or any sort of working out of your faith, right? Like scriptures would say, work out your faith with fear and trembling. Instead of associating it to actually a progression of of doing those type of things, it would be, oh, the church just hurt you. You're talking about why the church is doing things wrong, which means you're just in a a wounded state. So therefore, Mm. your belief systems are coming out of wound. Woundedness. And I, like, I remember um, someone, someone in your family, they uh, mentioning to me like, oh, he's been, he's been hurt by the church and kind of uh, saying, you know, but it's about Jesus, not the church and kind of going in that mm. direction with me. And I said, you know, uh, and what's interesting is I told the person I stopped going to church. Nate is the reason why, like they were judging sort of Nate's faith and writing it off as he's been wounded. And I was like, Nate's the reason I still go to church. And his faith is just fine, actually. Like, don't dismiss him because he's no longer, I mean, he's no longer fitting under evangelicalism, basically was the bottom line, which turned into a concern that his Christian faith meant nothing to him and that, you know. Mm. Um, so that was, that I guess is one of the misconceptions I find is just that, uh, that writing you off as you haven't actually worked through this in your mind. Mm-hmm. It must be a result of being wounded or being injured rather than what you were saying, Callie. It actually doesn't fit with what you were taught from childhood. You're finally coming to recognize that those mm-hmm. values and beliefs of Jesus just don't work with, with what you're in. Yeah, um, right. But that leads into, I guess, another question, because I was mentioning your family, Nate, uh, and family in general. How have... Next question I throw out there, how have your families been? Because uh, we all come from evangelical families. So what has been the responses to coming out of evangelicalism? Um, so for me, I've actually had, um, I guess I, I, I consider myself a little bit lucky um, in that uh, a lot of my family, while they are evangelical still, um, they they have been... The, there's a there's a high priority um, on the family uh, and the connections of the family, regardless of the religious affiliations. And um, I've found that to be really helpful. And I don't know if it's a cultural thing um, because of my my ethnic background, um, or if it's simply because that's how my family seems to function. But um, I do count myself lucky in that they have sort of responded with, they, they vocalized some concern. Um, you know, my, my, my mom has, has done that over, uh, over the last few years. Um, but I think there's a recognition um, that while I may be changing and shifting, um, and, and the same with my brother, um, the both of us changing and shifting our, uh, our beliefs, we're still the same people um and that's something that i i think i i get the sense that that's coming from my parents is that despite these changes in our beliefs we're still the same people that we were previously and um they're they're willing and able to kind of meet us there um some of my other extended family it's a little bit more challenging um but we're still able to have familial um relationships uh in in you know gatherings and whatnot, we just tend to kind of steer clear of particular topics that might take us down down roads that would be a bit more uncomfortable. Um, 
but yeah, I, I have found that my, my family has been, um, has been great. There have, like, I'd be lying if I said there haven't been some rough spots, but, um, overall it's been a, a, a good experience. Um, my friendships have been a little bit more challenging. Um, I could totally lost, relate. Yeah. yeah. I've lost quite a few friends um, mm-hmm. over the years, but, um, but yeah, that's, that's not family. <laughs> Same. I, on the friendship one, it's, it's, it's been hit or miss. I think people who've been deconstructing at the same time as me, like Dave and Callie, we met you guys along the way, but there's been bonds formed over shared experiences and understanding Mm -hmm. what that process looks like. Uh, And some, some friends have surprised me and they've, they've gone along for the journey, even though they don't understand other ones have just, you know, they feel like they just, we've had to disconnect because there's no more common understanding of each other. Um, When it came to family, for me, it's a spectrum. It, I have some family Mm -hmm. that have been so supportive of me, even though they don't get what I'm going through. They've, they've, they care about me as a person. And so they're willing to put aside that I, I don't hold the same beliefs as them anymore in the ways that they do as an evangelical. And they have not made that a thing. They have not made it awkward and they've made that communication line continue to stay open. Um, maybe been a little curious here or there, maybe sometimes avoid certain topics knowing that they're not ready to discuss or, or go down where I've gone. Uh, and then I've had other family members where, we avoid everything religious altogether all the time nonstop and that's actually quite difficult and it feels like a wedge because that might have been more of the basis of how we were able to connect before uh with those Ooh. common belief systems yeah. so it and it feels a little bit more of a minefield because i know deep down they have deep concerns for where i'm at because that foundation for them is the foundation of life you know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's uh, going to trigger all kinds of questions on if, mm-hmm. am I going to hell? Things that like, it's going to make them uncomfortable to just let go of when it comes to me. Mm-hmm. So depending on how rooted in they are in those thought processes, you could tell the discomfort levels. And um, so it's, it's different family members. It's been completely different. Um, even though they're all evangelical, it's the responses have been, have been different, varied. How about you? Yeah, I think it's been a mixed bag for me. Um, I well, I haven't had any um, at least <clears throat> um, close close family members. Um, like I haven't, um, you know, stopped communicating with any of them, or especially at the time, like when we left the church. Um, and it, you know, it was no coincidence that um, you know we our departure in early 2017. You know, kind of on the heels of the 2016 election. And, you know, and those family members still being kind of in the system also were on kind of a, the, the other side of, um, I guess, the political um, spectrum, um, you know, and how they voted. So it wasn't just, you know, leaving the church. It was also leaving kind of the, the political ideology that we that we used to share. Um, but I think, you know, so th- that first year was actually kind of tough. You know, I remember a... Uh, a dinner with two of my family members um, celebrating one of their birthdays. Um, it was, it was a really painful. Um, it was not at all. Just there was this kind of cloud over the entire. And it's like we were looking for other things to talk about with this elephant in the room. And it was really, uh, you know, I remember going to my car, you know, in the parking lot and 
didn't quite break down, but I was just like, I felt this weight of mm-hmm. like, man, I've lost something, you know, these like people that I love and, and it's definitely gotten a lot better <laughs> with them, you know, the last few years. Most of them. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So yeah, starting out, it was, it was tough. Yeah. 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 yeah and I would say um, we lost a lot of people in our lives that we thought were family-ish, you know, like church people for sure. I mean, I was ghosted by uh, more than one person I had considered a mentor. Um, And even recently lost someone I considered an aunt I'd known all my life. Um, But, you know, part of it is I'm starting to recognize spiritually abusive behavior Mm. and draw boundaries. Yeah. And for some people, when their value in you is that uh, you reflect their beliefs um, you, ex- you know, you make them feel more legitimate in what they believe um, instead of in who you are as a person, instead of loving you as the whole person, then they, they um, sometimes lash out and they, they try to get that control back. Um, and so I've lost some that way, um, just drawing very clear boundaries. And my, I have some relationships that are pretty, pretty strained right now. don't know if they're going to make it because of that. Mm. Um, but, you know, as Dave said, there's also the politics of it. And my family is very political. So I grew up with um, campaign season being a big deal. You know, we were always working on somebody's campaign. Um, my mom was very involved. And even as a young adult, when I was first married, um, you know, I had, uh, I, I was still involved in politics. And uh, we had ties with, presidential canon campaigns my mom ran a presidential campaign for the west coast and you know it was it, it was part of who we were it was part of our identity and so to question that to push back against that to even start to call it out has caused quite a bit of um pushback against us personally you know rather than the ideologies it's, it's gotten very personal mm-hmm. um, because they take the some of the people consider that to be their identity so deeply that if you yeah. don't agree with it, then they feel it's a personal attack. Mm. Interesting that you mentioned the politics of it, because I, that's kind of where I want to start heading now. And um, I guess the question that I have is why should people who aren't connected to evangelicalism um, in any way why should they care about it um because it, it i mean it has become kind of a topic of interest um so yeah can i read a quote nate and, and yeah, just yeah. and getting at in answering or at least starts trying to volley a, a discussion on this one i read a quote by um ibram x kendi he's the author of how to be an anti-racist and uh he put up a quote that said uh fascist power does not care about consistency, rules, fairness, precedence, truth. Fascist power does not respond to appeals to its hypocrisy, its lies, its unfairness, its human destruction. Fascist power only responds to power. Fascist power only cares about power. Um, Callie, with your background in politics, it, when I read this quote, was thinking of you, you were just sharing about family and politics, mm-hmm. and I think you had some thoughts on that. Yeah, so I mean, I relate to that in my experience with conservative evangelical politics, specifically. 
I worked for an organization that most people are pretty familiar with the name of now, uh, which was Citizens United when I was just 20 years old. And as an example of that, I know um, in my work there, I had an opportunity to call all of the major donors to let them know that my boss was going to be coming through and he was going to um, be visiting donors with his book um, tour that he was doing. And almost all of the calls, the people would answer very elderly and confused and say, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know. I don't know this person. What's Citizens United? Who's Floyd Brown? And these were our core donors. These, this is how we made, and the, the nonprofit organization brought in millions of dollars. And its board made hundreds of thousands of dollars each just being on the board. But we made our money by these mailers that would, we would send them telling them what we were doing and then people would write checks. And I read these mailers. They were so manipulative. They would just tell people, they would take a quote, put it out of context and then say, if you, if you don't do something about this, you're going to lose your rights to religion. You're going to lose your rights to free speech. The world is going to go to hell in a handbasket. We need you right now to do something about this. And so these people will get out their, you know, checkbooks and write out of their social security, you know, or their pensions, these checks to this organization. And when I brought it up to the board, of course, <laughs> I was 20 years old. I was the executive assistant. wasn't supposed to be uh, having a voice on the board. They just happened to ask me how this was going. And I brought this up as a concern. And they just said, well, you know, the end justifies the means. And that's why people should be scared of the conservative, mm. evangelical, political machine. Because mm. for them, it's all about power. It's all right. about the end justifies the means. They believe that they know what's best for everyone that their rules, their ways of doing things supersede anybody else's needs, opinions, anything, uh, perspectives, and that they deserve to have the power to rule. Um, th they believe that with everything in them, and, and that's not just in these organizations, that's within evangelicalism. It's the whole idea that we need to spread our beliefs, we need to spread our way of thinking because... Mm -hmm nobody else knows the right way but us yeah. um and politically that's very dangerous the, the rest of the country you know it's basically a um a threat to democracy mm -hmm. because it doesn't matter if 60 percent or 80 percent disagree with them they think they should be the ones in charge yeah so they're anti-democratic they are fascist mm-hmm yeah, it's it's interesting to kind of trace. Like I've I've been so fascinated by this recently in tracing the history of um, the evangelical movement and its uh, rise to power and why it's become such an influential um, like voting block, um, if I can call it that. I mean, it, yeah, it's it's essentially <clears throat> a voting block. It's um, but it's also there. It, it goes by so it. It's one name that covers a myriad of different things, whether organizations, churches, belief systems, voting blocks, like, but it all kind of, it, it's, and I think that's part of where its insidiousness lies is you can't quite exactly nail it down. Um, and people who we would look at and say, that's clearly evangelical. Um, I, I remember talking to somebody 
who um, attends a church that I used to work for. And um, she, she said, oh, we're not evangelical. We believe in, in the Bible. Um, and so for her, that, that mindset of, wow. of the term evangelicalism is, is political. And she's like, no, we're not. And their church is very, quote unquote, apolitical, though. If you read between the lines, there's a clear uh-huh. political message coming through. But, yep. um, but in her perception, her church is not a political group doesn't have right. a political message therefore they can't fall in line with what she sees as the evangelical voting block um I, it's it's fascinating i was thinking about the history too um and like the the you know the 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 nascent evangelical movement um with mm-hmm. uh jimmy carter and mm. how he he was by by any definition, um, within the church, a an an evangelical like he claimed the title of a born again Christian, um, yeah. and he lived by the tenets and he tried to lead by the tenets um, that were that that are at the core of of every f- evangelical church at least the the tenets that they will publicly um, speak for right you know and. Yeah. And yet there was this backlash against the kind of evangelicalism that Jimmy Carter represented. Um, and then you have like uh, the, the moral majority that sort of was like, co- it sort of coincided with, um, with Carter's sort of uh, loss of power and the rise of Ronald Reagan. Ooh, um, might and, makes right. Yeah. And now you have mm-hmm. the moral majority and Jerry Falwell Sr., not the Jerry mm. Falwell who unzipped his pants for Instagram, but <laughs> the Jerry Falwell who was his father. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if I really have a point so much as I want to kind of just trace a little bit of that history. And now, like, where that mm. then leads us, right? You have the moral majority, which was founded mm. by, by Jerry Falwell Sr. And what, what are the, the, the foundational beliefs of the moral majority? Um, hostility to abortion rights and hostility mm-hmm. to the LGBTQ community. Like, and, and hostility toward racial equality. Yeah. Specifically, yeah. the moral majority was against segregation mm-hmm. or desegregation. Yep. desegregation. They were for yep. segregation. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, which, you know, the, the conservatives will pretend that didn't exist, but it is mm-hmm. the, their roots. That's yeah. how that started. Yeah. Since you bring that up, yeah. That, like my um, my alma mater, where where I graduated with my um, my bachelor's degree, um, lost its uh, its tax exempt status Ooh. because of its um, uh, antagonism towards desegregation, um, mm-hmm. and that was kind of the the big thing um, that they kind of, they, they sort of lauded as like, you know, the, the government wants to suppress the gospel because they couldn't say that they had lost their tax exempt status because they were not desegregating. Um, they're trying to call religious freedom up, trying yeah, to say they were, yep. they're practicing their religion by trying to exactly, desegregate it, exactly. which tells you a lot about evangelicalism. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Oh, well, absolutely. And, and even the whole, what I was going to say before is that, that you know, when you mentioned voting block and can we call them one, I mean, it's quite telling that 81% of white evangelicals voted for Trump. I mean, that's over 80%. That's quite a big, like quite a, um, 
a consensus of thought right there. Um, And it goes against any other groups. It doesn't like your black evangelicals and your white evangelicals difference, big difference. Uh, Your other main, yes, a main line. You can take other groups and there's no one quite as supportive as those white evangelicals of Trump. And you mentioned abortion in there. Um, I wanted to go off on, uh, on just quickly on that thought um, with the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, um, which Rest in power to her who did so much. Yeah, Yeah, this is like heavy to even start to think about this. But Trump has been very quick on the mark uh, to go there. I mean, uh, two months ago, um, he basically said if he gets his way, he's going to appoint an anti-abortion justice to the high court. And this was before her passing. And Mm -hmm. now we already have the Republican Party already, you know, going into it and wanting to get... Uh, a judge in and the scary mm-hmm. thing is is that that would be if they were able to to put in one of their judges uh who was against abortion it would be a six to three vote against abortion mm-hmm. right so the concept of um conservatives overturning roe versus wade something that would be horrific and take away rights for women which seemed in our minds a while ago to be like uh almost unfathomable or crazy if that would happen or hopefully it doesn't happen is now looking like this could be like the campaign issue for Trump. Um, This could be the abortion could be the centerpiece issue. And, and so many people who, uh, who I know who are evangelical who would say, well, I don't like Trump as a person. Uh, I don't agree with everything he says. The thing that drives them forward and that makes them like choose to vote for him and they'll claim apolitical because they're uncomfortable with Trump as a person. But at the end of the day, that uh, that view of abortion and how they need to make it illegal will come will trump, I mean, pardon the pun, everything else that yeah, Jesus said for yeah. kind of goes out the window. Everything else Jesus talked about, about caring oh, for yeah. the poor, all of that goes out the window with this idea that you can legally make sure that this abortion issue, um, that you can deal with it on a legal framework and get the judges in place that are going to support that position. Yep. Right. Which even though, I was going to say, even though that's, that's not a popular idea that again, it's anti-democratic. They're going to put judges in there with a majority who don't represent the majority of our nation. Yeah. Right. Yep. Exactly. And it doesn't matter because the end justifies the means. Right. Kind of going back to the fascist power uh, concept that we were talking about early on, just that need Mm -hmm. to take control and to push forward the beliefs and opinions. Mm -hmm. But it goes so much further than abortion, and that's what they've lost sight of because Mm -hmm. they're so focused on getting that one issue the way they want it. Yeah. Like you, you started to mention, there's a whole bunch of other issues, like the way that immigrants are treated the way that we haven't dealt with racial inequality, that, you know, there's so many other things that um, Trump does so badly. And and it doesn't matter to them because they're so laser focused on that abortion issue that our country is falling apart and... They're just going, but at least abortion will be illegal, which isn't going to help anything. Right, it's it not actually going to help makes it worse. It, yep, it will make it worse. And that's the, the, the other thing, too. And I'm wondering if perhaps a strategy um, should be to better educate people on abortion um, and to get past a lot of the talking points that have been circulating and to talk about 
A, what abortion really is, because all of the scare mm-hmm. tactics are these images of people, you know, like giving birth to a baby and then shooting it in the head, you know, um, where like the, that, that scare tactic is what makes people freak out about mm-hmm. abortion. <laughs> Like partial birth abortion kind right. of scares. Right. The stuff. whole yeah, mm-hmm. which is it, it's it's the the in the the vast majority of abortions are not um, even remotely close to that time yeah, period of pregnancy. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. In the in the, yeah the quote unquote late term um, that mm-hmm. they that they like to parrot. The other thing right. too is um, and we we do have an episode coming up um, that will deal a little bit more. We're gonna delve into this yeah, for those who wanna to start thinking through the topic of abortion uh, in terms of even how it ties with politics or just that whole conversation around it. We're gonna definitely dive into those those connections yeah um so so stay tuned for for that coming up soon the um the thing that i i i think is important for us to realize i think it's important for for people who are are more conservative in their their leanings or are are anti-abortion um statistically abortions tend to decrease most dramatically during um democratic administrations and one of the the reasons for that is the correlation between the drop in abortions and the rise in better health care better access to contraceptives and birth control um Mm -hmm. and and sex education education comprehensive Mm -hmm. sex education but this country um has this um, prioritization, which I think was mandated federal, federally during the Bush administration at some point, not mandated federally, but was kind of pushed at the federal level during the Bush administration. You correct me if I'm wrong, that, um, that, uh, abstinence only education should be the priority, um, mm. in, in public education. I, I might be wrong about the time period or which, which, which president was in, in, uh, in office, but at some point in our fairly recent history, we had abstinence-only education being the uh, the predominantly pushed um, form of sex education. Well, it had it had to be taught alongside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They and we're the only just... country that does that, right? And you know, I remember going through it as a teenager and thinking, "Yay, we get to have a say!" Because I was so indoctrinated. Um, but now, I, oh man, I look back and, and I think what a disservice that did. Mm-hmm. to my classmates and yeah. to me yeah you know it's it's because really it, here's the thing you can't mandate a particular more like personal morality surrounding sex like hormonal teenagers are going to have sex you can't stop them what yeah. you can do is prepare them for for that time in their life mm-hmm. i mean you talk age. about healthy ways and consent you know yeah you know, being being mature enough to make those decisions and all of that needs to be, you know, in the conversation, but you can't just tell them, here's how you have to do it because that's mm-hmm. just not right. It's too controlling for one. Right. You know, we don't have the right to tell people what they should do and what they shouldn't do with their bodies. That's mm-hmm. their own decisions. Again, it goes back to consent. Mm-hmm. They don't like that. That's why they don't teach consent though. They don't teach consent because it also implies that people have the right to say yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And they don't want to admit that people have that right. Yeah. 
It's interesting how what you were what we've talked about before. I'm not sure if it's this episode or if it was our previous one, but we talked about that ball of yarn and how things unravel when you pull out one string. You know, which Ooh. string do you pull out that makes the whole thing come apart? Yeah. But the idea of consent, if you have a toxic, abusive, authoritarian, fascist system, right? Then pulling out that that thread that says you have someone who has the right to control your body and tell you what to do. If consent becomes something you value, then it unravels and takes apart the whole control Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. because at the core of of this ideology is an invasive god who manipulates and controls in order to stay in power and Mm. that trickles down into their um, leadership into their spokespeople and ultimately into their congregations well, and, and, and that touches on the authority of God is what we talked about as us having. Mm-hmm. We would, I mean, if you want to talk about reasons why evangelicals are scary, they believe they have the authority of God. And yeah. it's scary too. They tie this into a national concept, which then, I mean, we, mm-hmm. we were mentioning about the states versus other places. I mean, the weirder thing as Canadians looking on at American evangelicalism is it's probably the Trump love just looks really, really odd from an Ooh. outsider perspective, but it's the way the USA is tied to God's country. So this, na- this merge Ooh. of nationalism and patriotism with faith that like the religious right becomes merged together with the political party that's something right. very uniquely american and weird and concerning like when we're talking about why should we be concerned about evangelicals th- there's this tie to like being american as being godly like worshiping Ooh. the flag it, the american flag our country before everyone else like yep. usa first that that whole thing um yeah that's he's chosen God's chosen yeah, people God's are the Americans. People. And then right. how does that influence politics and policies abroad and how you handle immigration and how you Ooh. handle other people groups? If you believe you're better than everyone else, that you're God's blessed people, that anything you do is what God wants. So if USA yep. does something, God did something. If USA wins, God wins. It's, it's, yeah. it's a really creepy merger of faith and politics. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And especially with how deeply indoctrinated uh, we were, our experience, especially, you know, as, as evangelicals growing up, like just how deep that mindset goes. So it's not just like, um, you know, oh, a political party cropped up and I think I agree with them. It's like literally, as we talked about in the last episode, there's this worldview, this framework that y- you can't really question. Mm-hmm. And so everything within that framework is so solid because if you question a little bit, you know, it's all going to fall apart. And that mixed with fascism, mm. mixed in nationalism, you know, con- a controlling God whose authority you have mm. that, you know, that, that moral imperative, that whole, you know, idea that look, we, we have the right to control things because we have God's authority and, you know, you can't question any of it because it's right. it's their whole worldview. So there's no really reasoning with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there isn't any room really for, and, you know, certainly be discouraged, I think, but for critical thinking, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. yeah. as an evangelical. And I think that's one of the reasons that demographic um, is 
has the ability, has the potential to have so much power, like we saw in the 2016 election. Um, because, you know, when you remove and you, you know, you've been conditioned from a very young age, you know, people who've been in, in those churches, you know, since, um, you know, child age, the age of children, um, they, uh, the message, the messaging has been don't question, don't challenge. Um, and now you have somebody, a candidate like Trump who comes along, who in any normal circumstance, because of the, um, the, the conflicts that his character has with, um, some of the beliefs and specifically morals that they uh, choose. Yeah. Right. Um, that, that ability to critically think and process through that and, and not just be like a single issue voter and not just kind of continue, you know, like I remember thinking, um, that you only voted Republican. I mean, there yeah. just, there just wasn't yeah. a question. Christians were Republican. They were one and right. the same. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so that critical thinking being cut off and discouraged um, to kind of keep the status quo mm -hmm. is one of the reasons that that group has a potential to be so powerful because they can be manipulated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're brainwashed. You know, we talk about how Nazis were brainwashed and how, you know, fascism came to, to be in power there. I mean, even Hitler didn't have a majority vote, right? Right. Like, he, yeah. and then he just took over. And I mean, it's, um, he was empowered by fanatics, mm -hmm. but you, fanatics are very carefully cultivated. Yeah. And that's what we have. We have yeah. very carefully cultivated fanatics. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. And, and we are, we have systems in this country that are very easily manipulated yep. um, by these people in power. Um, mm -hmm. and yeah, I keep hearing about the balance of power and the, and the checks and balances. I'm not seeing them at work. No, I'm not seeing them at work either. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing that's, that's frightening me the most. And, and the one I think the most obvious um, that's not a system of, of checks and balances, but I think actually plays into the hands of the powerful um, is the electoral college. And mm -hmm. we like ha how many times in the last um, what, like 15, 20 years has uh, the, the majority of the American, of the American people voted for a president and that president did not uh, or voted for a candidate to be president. And that candidate did not actually win the presidency that's happened twice it should not be happening it happened twice in in recent american history you mm -hmm. know like both times for republicans yeah both times for republicans exactly mm -hmm. um it's that like that's one of those systems that's that's easily manipulated mm -hmm. and and now you know like um I mean, I'm, I'm part of a, a group called End Citizens United, um, which that's a Supreme Court decision <laughs> that's so that has funny. been. Yeah, it's a, it's a Facebook group that I joined literally as soon as that uh, Supreme Court decision came down. Uh, I, I saw it come across my feed and I'm like, I'm joining that one. Um, and it, I think I need to help. I think I yeah. need to join the group. Yeah, I'll send you the link to it. But yeah, that's that's it's where we are. It's, it's depressing to look at it, but I don't know. I kind of want to encourage people uh, to get involved yeah. in our, in our political process. Like sitting on the sidelines is only going to give power to the ones who are hunting for power and obsessed yes. with it. And as a Canadian looking from the outside, I will say that the American voter turnout 
is so low. And I know it's there's a lot, role. I know there's a lot going on in the States. Suppression. No, but I also know that there's a lot of voter uh, discarding and a lot of weight. Yes. Yeah, suppression. Exactly what you're saying. <laughs> Sorry, Callie. Uh, th- th- exactly that. And it's, it's done on purpose in order to silence certain groups that would vote in a way that would turn things around. And that's really scary. Actually, another part of the overall structure yep. that's scary in the States. But when you look at the voter turnout, if you're going to pride yourself on being a democracy, people need to get, you cannot have a low, as low of a, like the voter turnout is so low compared to any other democracies that in yeah. the world that it's scary to see people are not going out and voting and that needs to turn around that needs to change the americans need to wake up and realize that they have to start speaking and using their votes to change things mm-hmm. because it's actually affecting the country in really yeah. scary ways trump was 2016 was like a wake-up call it should have a, been a wake-up call should have, yes, should have been but this election you know that people are gonna have to change it around if they want mm. something different yeah i don't well, i don't and- want to fear monger but like we we if if trump wins in 2020 i do not see that it is possible for us to regain our dem- democracy democracy yeah. i think i think we will lose it i mean it uh, on the other hand, and I'm, I'm going to pull from my inspiration from Andre Henry, mm. that we do have another means of democracy at, you know, within our grasp, which uh, we need to utilize more. And our First Amendment guarantees the right to protest. Yeah. Um, because our democracy has been hijacked in so many ways with sup- voter suppression, with, you know, the Electoral College and, and really how it was designed actually um there's there's so many things going on that voting can't fix even you know because of the way it's set up and i would say um countries have faced more difficult more um fascist situations and pushed back and Mm -hmm. won but we have to be willing to get yeah. off the sidelines like you said yeah. and not just let it happen not just count on oh well the courts will fix it because look what's happened to the yeah. courts yeah not you know oh the impeachment process but what about when the senate is you know based on small states having lots of power you know that are obviously not representative of the full country uh, of the the majority of the country so yeah democracy's on the line and besides voting we also have to get up make our voices heard and you know just be active be be paying attention i love that as our final word callie Mm -hmm. i think you have you've done a great job yeah so in in the spirit of the title of our of our podcast don't repeat this we we can we see fascist regime regimes throughout history across the world let's not repeat those yeah (laughs) But let's let's do talk about this learn one. Learn from history. Yeah, yeah but yeah. learn from history and don't repeat it. <laughs> don't yes. repeat the bad history that you've yeah. that yeah. you should be learning from. Exactly. Yeah. I think this was a great episode. I think it was it was an important conversation, and the conversation does need to continue. Thank you, Dave. Thank you. Thanks Callie, for being for... with us twice. Aww, yeah. thanks for having us. Absolutely. Yeah. It's great to talk to you guys. It's been fun. Well, that about does it for today's episode. Again, please spread the word about our show. Uh, So rate and review us on iTunes. Check us out on social media. We are at Don't Repeat This Podcast on Instagram, at Don't Repeat Pod on Twitter because of Twitter's fucking character limit. And uh, again, (laughs) if you want to send us some long-form feedback, uh, you can email us at don'trepeatthispod at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. 
I'm Nate. I'm Gail. And Vicky will rejoin us once we can find her. <laughs> this has been Don't Repeat This. So, I don't know, maybe don't repeat the stuff at the dinner table. Bye. Bye.